Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today in the podcast we have presidential candidate Julian Castro. The Chronicle's D.C. correspondent, Tal Copen, and I interviewed him recently in San Francisco, and we asked him about a new program he's rolling out to take on police brutality. We also talk about his suggestions about housing. Remember, he was the housing secretary under President Obama. And we ask him why he's not connecting with Latino voters yet, even though he's the only Latino candidate in the race. Next, Julian Castro on It's All Political. Secretary Julian Castro, welcome back to It's All Political. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here at the California Democratic Party Convention. Yeah, so you're rolling out a new policy that is about policing and uh, tell us a little bit about this and this is this is based a lot about the neighborhood you grew up in san antonio for the experiences you've had there yeah i mean today no matter who you are you see these videos over and over and over again of police officers unnecessarily using force shooting sometimes killing especially young black men Stefan Clark is a good example of that across the bay in Oakland. And I've said that this is not just a case of a few bad apples, although I do believe there are a lot of great police officers. These videos are evidence that the system itself is broken and that this is an epidemic. Every year about a thousand people are killed by police, disproportionately black men. I'm releasing a plan to address reform in policing in the United States to ensure that no matter who you are, that you're treated the same under the law. And and apologies for the background noise to our listeners, but we're yes, doing yeah. this literally Just on the sidelines. Just know side that lines. that boo was not for me. No, no, no. This is, that was that was completely you're not unrelated. Your <laughs> uh, so, so, sorry. No, I just yeah, maybe. I can. I, I'll glad to. You can spell that. Glad to spell it out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. This will be posting after you. Okay. You yeah. So, so, um, so this system is broken. So let's fix it. My plan says we should fix it by doing three basic things. Number one, uh, that we should end overaggressive policing. I would stop the program that sells surplus military weapons, military equipment, to police because I believe that's contributed to over-aggressive policing over the last 25 years or so. I would also work with Congress to end practices like stop and frisk and racial profiling. In addition to that, I would add accountability for police officers and police departments into the system. Right now, for instance, if you have an officer that uses excessive force it's voluntary as to whether the police department that he or she works for has to report that to the FBI. We have no real way of tracking the officers that are using excessive force. And there are officers that use excessive force repeatedly. I want to track that. I want to make that database public and share that with hiring departments of police, hiring officers of police departments across the country so that we don't get bad officers that are going from one department to another. I would also create a national use of force standard that would say 
that it's only appropriate to use force, lethal force, if there's imminent threat to life and all other alternatives have been exhausted. All other reasonable alternatives have been exhausted. And that if a department, police department, does not adopt that standard and a civilian unnecessarily gets killed by a police officer, they would risk losing their federal funds. Now, the local uh, law enforcement's going to say, this is the feds coming in and bigfooting them. What do, you, what do you say to that when local law enforcement says, you know, this is, this is not the federal government's uh, priority or, or purview? I'd say that's part of um, why we have such a big problem out there, is that in too many police departments, the fact that young black men are being treated differently from other people is not taken as seriously as it should be. And I believe that, the, that a national standard actually makes sense because why would somebody treat you differently if he or she's a police officer in Birmingham, Alabama versus San Antonio, Texas versus here in San Francisco? Uh, I, I just disagree with somebody that would say that, that that standard for when an officer should fire their weapon at somebody should be different just because you're in the South versus you're in Texas, versus you're in Wyoming, versus you're in California. No, it should be the same. And I spoke with a voter after the move-on event uh, where you sort of debuted this, and you, you came out to the crowd and started, you know, saying their names to sort of use the hashtag, but the names of many of these men that have been killed, Stefan Clark, of course, locally, Philando Castile, Tamir Rice. I mean, unfortunately, it's quite a long list. And, you know, this voter was telling me how, how pleased she was to see a Democratic candidate, you know, in the mainstream sort of race, using such progressive language, you know, Black Lives Matter has become a bit of a hot button. How did you make the decision to sort of go straight for it and, and say their names and, and really sort of, you know, call out, especially, you know, what's seen as a black issue as, as the only Latin candidate, Latino candidate in the race? Well, I actually did that uh, at my announcement speech. That was part of my announcement speech. So from the very beginning, I've done that as a candidate. And number one, it comes from basic respect for them and for their families and for people who have suffered like them, that I, I believe we can't forget them and that their deaths should not be in vain and that we need to fix our system inspired by what happened to them. But then secondly, I don't think that the media have noticed yet, and I think a lot of American voters haven't noticed yet, but. If people are looking for what's going to distinguish me from many of the candidates out there, it's that I've been fearless on these issues. I was the first one to come out with an immigration policy when people are running away from it. People think that, oh, how are you going to take Trump on when he's able to fearmonger and scare people and get his electoral college victory in certain states because he turns these people into the enemy? I said, no, uh, we know that we're right. There's a better way to fix our broken immigration system that calls on people to use compassion and common sense instead of cruelty. And I, I put out the first comprehensive plan almost two months before anybody else did. Same here. I'm not afraid to take on this issue just because some people think that it's controversial because it's the truth and it needs to be fixed. And switching gears a little bit, you know, being in San Francisco, housing, the cost of living, homelessness, huge problems, and they've been getting worse. And you were the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development for years under Obama. And, and 
we didn't actually see a huge sort of change. That that problem has been progressing. So why do you think it's been getting so much worse? Why did you know the attempts to do anything about it not make a dent? And and what do you see going forward? Well, during those Obama years, homelessness in the United States actually decreased, and veteran homelessness decreased between 2010 and 2016 by 47 percent. Part of the reason for that was that. We were, there was a blueprint called Opening Doors, whose goal was to end homelessness. And there was real alignment and focus and investment. And Congress at that time, as the recovery was happening, actually dedicated more resources than they had in a long time to address things like homelessness. However, in the last couple of years, you have seen especially the number of unsheltered homeless start rising quickly again. And for West Coast cities, LA, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Honolulu, it, that's been happening for some time. And so what I've said is that it's been 40 years since we've made a tremendous and necessary investment in housing supply, affordable housing supply. Before the debate on June 26, I'm going to release a housing plan that will call for a big investment in affordable housing with the goal of making sure that people have a safe, decent place to live and including tackling homelessness. Uh, as the only Latino candidate in the race, you're still polling 1% among Latino voters, uh, certainly here and even in California. Why is that? And what are you going to do to branch out? Just name ID. There are 23 candidates in the race. And when I started this in January, I was starting from scratch in the sense that I hadn't run for president before, had not run for senator or governor, even though I have some of the most relevant experience for the job because I've served as mm -hmm. a federal executive, as a cabinet member. Uh, and as the mayor of the seventh largest city in the country. So it's just been a process for me of doing hard work. What people will see is that in the polling average, I'm climbing little by little, making steady progress. Uh, we've gained significantly from where I started in the beginning. Uh, I made the debate. I was one of, the, I think I was maybe the eighth or ninth candidate to hit both thresholds for the debate on polling and fundraising. Uh, I'm confident that I can make the September debate. And I'm doing what our families do out there, which is just to, to work hard, and that's paying off. I see more people coming to my events, whether it's here in California or Iowa or New Hampshire. My fundraising has accelerated a lot in the second quarter versus the first, getting more media attention. And then when I get up and I'm compared to other candidates, whether it's at a, an event like this or at the Move On Forum yesterday, I think I do well. And if you gauge by the, the talk afterward and the buzz afterward, I do well in the comparison. So I'm looking forward to the debates. And um, there are a lot of candidates over the years, whether it was Jimmy Carter or Bill Clinton or others, that started off between 1% and 3%. And you know, just because you start off there doesn't mean that you're not going to win. I believe that, that um, by the time Iowa caucuses on February 3rd of next year, that I'm going to be a front runner. And that by the time you vote here in California, that I can win the California primary on March 3rd. What's been your takeaway from this weekend? Meet expectation, exceed expectation, surprises? No, it's always neat to be here in California. I mean, California Democrats are no, like no other. I mean, they're super active. They're committed to progressive values. It's been great to feel the enthusiasm out there um, to get this sense of hope, because too often times when we look at what's happening in Washington, it seems hopeless, but what you, what you feel here, what you hear here, is this sense of hope and also resolve and resistance, uh, a resolve to, to win in 2020 for the right reasons. Is there a concern 
uh, do you think that um, there's a concern out there that someone who is Latino would not be the right person to take on? I mean, I'm talking within the Democratic Party to take on Trump because that's someone he could easily malign as, as he has since day one of his presidency. Do you think that's, yeah. do you hear that well, sense out there? I mean, I'm, there may be some people that believe that, but look, Donald Trump was a new type of candidate and I'm convinced we're only going to beat him with a new type of candidate. Mm -hmm. The same old stuff is not going to win anymore. And uh, Obama was a new type of candidate that was able to forge a new powerful and exciting coalition. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that I can also forge a young, diverse, powerful coalition of people from different backgrounds that I can go and get back those 80,000 votes that we lost Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania by, because those are very close. I can go get those, and I'm the best hope that our party has to actually go and get the 11 electoral votes of Arizona, the 29 electoral votes of Florida, and also the 38 electoral votes of my home state of Texas. There we go. Secretary Castro, thank you hey, for being here. thanks a lot, y'all. It's all political it. again. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Tal Copen for joining me to interview Secretary Castro. I'd like to thank Secretary Castro for being on It's All Political. And remember, whether you're low in the polls or not, it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garifoli. Thanks.